Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So today's guest is a very, very special guest, and it is someone who has genuinely changed a lot of the industry and our perception of the industry. Um, so today's guest is Brett Contreras, and Brett has been a PT and a trainer and an educator for about 25 years. So if anyone isn't aware of Brett's work, Brett is kind of one of the, he's at the fore of kind of the industry in relation to growing glutes, growing quads, that side of things. He is also the inventor of the hip thrust, which is one of those main contraptions and machines that we use in the gym on a daily basis. He's also an author of the Glute Lab and he has so many different ways of training the glutes and if you use his program you've probably more than likely seen seen great great results he's a researcher an snc coach and he's he's someone who spends as much time in the trenches and working with clients still to one on a daily basis so today's kind of episode went down a very different route to what i thought it would so we started talking about at the very beginning went off on a little bit of a kind of a, a tangent or a rant and it, it's insightful to listen to it but he started talking about getting the hate that he gets up on socials and how he deals with that we talk about is the industry in a good place now or is it in a negative place some of the biggest mistakes women make when they're training or trying to get strong the top five tips that he gives for growing glutes the importance of a deload week and how often to bring this in how often to kind of uh, and the the how often to change a program and advice to the younger self so it's an incredible episode i'm very grateful to have brett on he's got like over 1.2 million followers up on on instagram uh, and it's incredible to have him on so i hope you guys enjoy the episode with brett Contreras. brett how are we sir i'm doing great shane thanks for having me on thank you so much for coming on like it's it's a huge honor to have someone like yourself on uh the, the following and the, the the change to the the fitness industry that you've made over the over the years is it's a massive credit to yourself and the, and the people around you i'm going to get you to tell us in a brief little synopsis of 25 years as a trainer uh how you kind of got into it and your your credentials you know, uh, I'm, I'm most known for inventing the barbell hip thrust. It's funny, when I invented it, no one questioned it. But now, uh, 15 years later, everyone, you know, like someone makes a post, Brett invented the hip thrust. It's the weirdest thing. You'll see 20 straight people. He did not invent the barbell hip thrust. But why, why would they know? Why would they know? What are, they, are they historians? Do they have any evidence of the contrary? It's, it's all, I used to respond and say, hey, if you know something I don't know, let, you know, send me a, a, a send me a, a book, a, a, you know, a picture. Of, it was published somewhere, a book or, a, a you know, a video, and I'd be happy to credit the rightful person. And then the people always go, LOL, they didn't have camera phones back then. <laughs> and I'm like, but yet we have pictures of every exercise dating back to, you know, like being black and white, yet everyone, every picture, every exercise was photographed except hip thrust. Anyway, that's a, that's a whole different topic. Why are people so weird now? Like why is everyone so negative and, and jealous? And why do people care that, 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 you know, like, why do people want to take that away from me? That's a whole I've noticed in the last two years, social media has changed a lot. But back to my 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 story, I was a high school math teacher for six years um, in my you know twenties, 
And I had this, you know, this uh, professor who said, you know, Brett, I, I just got this project from you on exercise science. It's the best I've ever received as a professor. I can tell you spent so many hours on it. You need to go into exercise science. You know, this is clearly your passion. I have no doubt you're a good math teacher, but life is too short to waste. I'm not pursuing your passion. So I couldn't stop thinking about that. And I just, you know, I was like, she makes too much sense. So I saved up, opened up a gym, quit teaching, had a gym for a couple of years. That was during the housing market crash, you know? And so kind of like everything went under at that point. Plazas went under, my gym went under. And so I was like, what what can I do? So I started blogging. I started uh, social media. I, I started Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, blogging, newsletter, all that. Then I started writing for T Nation. I started, um, you know, getting out there, speaking at conferences. Eventually, Eventually, I got my PhD, started publishing studies, and now it's, now it's uh, I think, 2009 is when I really emerged. And so now it's 13 years later, and the rest is history. It's definitely history. I'll give you credit there. Um, how did you, like, how, you mentioned there about kind of the, the, in the last kind of two years, it's kind of like this toxic thing kind of coming through there's obviously a massive side of the positive side to social media how do you deal with the kind of the toxic side yourself and like the barriers things that you put into place to kind of cope with it or deal with it or are you are you just very lucky to be have a a filter of like fuck this (laughs) to be honest i just don't spend as much time i'm so turned off by it uh i think it's just so hard for like certain people to understand because i've never been negative on social media you know i've never uh you know if you were to see like if you could i wish i wish there were something where you could see what people post each day and then you could click on them and be like wow you've said you've posted you've made like 100 comments and they're all negative and jealous you've got this jealousy gene you know where you're threatened by everyone else's success and you're just being negative whereas with myself, I, I might make 10 comments a day. They're all just positive. They've, and I've always been like that. I've it never occurs to me to be like, like, let's say someone was like, Oh my God, I, I set a squat record today and they didn't quite go to parallel. I'd never be like, LOL didn't even break parallel. I would just write, wow. Good job. Proud of you. Yeah. Then if they asked me about it in the DMs and said, what do you think? I'd say, I think you need to go a little deeper, but but still good job, you know? But uh, yeah, it just doesn't occur to me. I don't scroll through people's stuff and think to write something negative. It's all just like cheering people on. And so I don't get it. It's hard for me to understand. So I don't spend as much time. It's a turnoff. And to be honest, um, you know, I heard Joe Rogan talking about this, but uh, my client Angela got me an account in China on Weibo. That's their most popular um, social media application. And um, 
and you know they they had a they wanted verification of my my phd my patent things like that and so they verify you right away they prioritize you because they want to encourage scientific interaction they want they want to empower people and i think that's a good model i sit there now and i go why would any scientist waste their time it's you know why would any scientist be on social media it's the average person it's called the dunning kruger effect right it's the dumber you are the smarter you think you are at something they, they you underestimate the knowledge pool and how much you know and you see it everywhere it's just it's like ruining the world right now you see everyone's an expert on everything these people you know you'll have a, a, a scientist come out and say something and you read the comments 50 people are like lol and they're so dumb they're so and you only know this if you're if you're really edu educated in a topic they're so incredibly stupid and it just why would why would any smart person want to be involved with that you know it, it, something needs to change i don't know how to change it you know i don't know what needs to be done but um i just i find myself not not being as active anymore on social media because it's just very toxic, very negative. It can be a great thing, but uh, the more popular you get, the more hate you get, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting the fact that Weibo brought in that whole verification thing of your credentials and, and they start, they were, they were talking about bringing it in for social media for people to have to, to be over a certain age or to have to set up an account to have like an online passport or a digital passport or whatever it is to bring it in. Maybe that's the, the route down around, but there's always a way around the system. Well, um, about this? If, if, if you were like, why have algorithms anyway? That's just a profit. That's just for profit. Yeah. I've noticed, you know, I quit Facebook back in the day. I was so mad at their algorithm change. I just said, screw this platform. I want nothing to do with it. They're, they're disgusting, dishonest. Um, you know, they, I spent so much time back in the day. I mean, I think I quit. I don't even know the year it was, but must have been, you know, I don't think I've really posted on there in like five years or so. But um, I spent a lot of time and effort building up my platform. And had I known, had you had they been honest with people and said, we're going to just totally change the, uh, we're just baiting you. We, we want you to build up your followings and then we're going to change everything on you. And become so greedy that we we just want to force you all to use advertising you know scientists don't feel right buying ads we're not going to sponsor an article we wrote you know what i mean in contrast the marketers the 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 charlatans you know the pseudoscientists that's they love marketing so they're going to get more popular and, and and so now think about this. It's like the death to the practitioner, I call it. I want to write a big article on this, but uh, nowadays you see all these people, like I, I still train people. I still train clients. It's a huge part of my life, but that takes away from time I can spend on social media. So does, you know, I just spent this morning talking to uh, my, my friend Brad Schoenfeld and, and, um, and this other scientist he was schooling us on uh, on, on the, the 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 sensors and signals of of hypertrophy, like the molecular at the molecular level. This guy's so smart. Publishing takes away from time you can spend on social media. So what I found is 
Now it used to be that, you know, the experts were the guys who owned gyms. These were the guys who wrote for men's health, who wrote for teen nation. They all owned gyms. They trained people in real life and they had the experience. Now the most popular pe people on social media are, they don't have gyms. They don't train anyone because that takes away. It's just a bunch of fucking posers. It's a bunch of fucking charlatans pretending like they know what they're doing. They don't have any expertise. They make the dumbest comments. They actually go they make polarizing comments because that's what gets rewarded. You know, the world exists in shades of gray, not black and white. They just make these black and white statements. And um, and also the entertainers, like, like nowadays I'm seeing these people. It's more like you're kind of like half trainer, half uh, like actor or, or dancer, or you have some shtick. Like I've been watching this Liver King lately. He keeps oh, I've seen him, yeah. Like he's he's a character. It's almost like a W. We need to be like WWE characters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and uh, and he, and he's I don't I, he's probably close to a million. I haven't looked, but uh, uh, you know these people can rise up very quickly, and um, and it's not about the true expert anymore. And you know I I make a good living, um, but I don't care. Like what I care most about is fairness. And if you're going to have algorithms, how do we know it's fair? How do, why shouldn't the, the social media companies have to publish their algorithms so you know, you know, why is it these, and, and it's funny because I listen to everyone, they're all like, oh, well, no, that's because you're supposed to be doing reels. Well, I make reels and they don't go anywhere. They get no, so yeah. that's not it. It's not, it used to be when you leave algorithms out of it, I do really well. I always have. I, I I was the fastest, you know, growing strength coach on Facebook, the fastest growing strength coach on social media. I'm sorry, on, on Instagram. And then these social media channels, I've noticed with YouTube and, and, and even Twitter, like they start doing algorithms and, um, and now you can't gain traction. You just, they switch things on you. And then everyone's going, what, what am I doing wrong? What am I, you're not doing anything wrong. They just prevented you from growing. They switch, they, 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 you know, people think like they just got greedy with everyone. The only people growing are the, the one, the people I just mentioned and the reason, and they, they change things all the time so that they keep you guessing. So one day I might get 50,000 views on my stories. Another day I'll get 10,000 views. Why a five times difference there? That makes no sense. And so when, when, when Facebook bought Instagram, I was just like, oh no, you know, they're going to do the same thing. Um, they're going to do the same exact thing. And, and to be honest, I wish more people talked about it because it's, it's really impacting the quality of the world. It's a big deal. Like when you have a situation where scientists are, are, we're like, you know, Karen's blog, <laughs> Karen, the blogger has, just as much clout or more clout than the top scientists on a subject or when they reward, you know, they reward these, the, 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 the reward goes to the controversial or the, the more outlandish people. And there's no, you know, if you're going to have algorithms, think about it. You could reward scientific people or people have more, more credentials, people have more clout, but that doesn't happen in this current age. In fact, the people who have, 
it's the death to the practitioner. The people who are actually practicing are at a disadvantage because you get these, you know, 22 year olds who have never trained anyone in their life, but they're just wizards at social media. And they it's also the, the era of the copycat. You know, if you plagiarize someone's sentence, you could get kicked out of college back in the day. These people steal your whole identity. They start calling themselves, you know, like <laughs> they take your exact persona, then they they take it from you and they 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 copy everything about you. They 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 steal your identity. They copy your every your branding, all your revenue streams, all your posts. They just make the same exact post, but from them. Sure, they might change some words around, but it's really like identity theft almost. You're just like stealing someone's identity and proposing as them, but you're just copying them. You're not the originator of that idea. You're copying someone else, but then it, you don't get penalized for that. So no one gives credit anymore. Uh, it used to be that we always gave credit back in the day. No one stole. You'd get you'd get a bad name in the industry. You wouldn't go anywhere. But back in the day, in order to have clout, in order to rise up, you had to get along with all. It was a lot of politics involved. You had to meet all the, the major players, shake their hand, go to conferences. You know, you had to show your worth, your salt. You had to have a beer with these people and show that you're, uh, you know, that you're worth your salt. And you don't need conferences anymore. You don't need to publish papers. You don't need to write for anything. You don't even have actually have to be a trainer. You don't even have to have actually trained anyone or ever taken a single course. You just have to be good at copying people on Instagram or TikTok and then also doing like the up-to-date dances and songs and trends and hashtags and things like that, you know? So if you're going to have algorithms, why not reward people who deserve it instead of the stuff that does get rewarded, you know, um, people who pose half-naked pictures all day long. And I'm not trying to... I'm not judging that. I'm just saying we, sh we, sh we probably shouldn't have like a situation where, you know, I have some female colleagues who are very, very intelligent and have st they study so hard and they have, you know, they have 6,000 followers. And then you have someone who just naturally has been blessed with a nice butt and they have 2.5 million followers or something. And, and I understand it, but um I don't know. It's weird because some of these people with 6,000 are great looking too, but just they don't have something about it. There's some, some, something about it. It's just really sad to me. It's like, a, it's not a fair system in my opinion, not that life is fair, but it should be more fair. So I've gone back to blogging and newsletters and spreading things out more with YouTube because I don't want to rely on Instagram I don't want to rely on anything that I think Facebook is deplorable. They've the, some of the things they've done, the, the things that they're investigated for and things like that. I don't think are even the worst issues. What they've really done is turned our country into a very, uh, no, uh, unscientific. Um, and, and, and I don't know, it's just, it's gone downhill in my opinion. So I do like that more people are entrepreneurs now you know, but I just think that uh, some of the trends I've seen in the last couple of years, like with the negativity, the toxicity, the, the cancel culture, the, um, the um, not crediting people, stealing of ideas, 
stealing of i had a, a colleague that just made a post recently she just like made a post just copied someone else's infographic just made it herself you know i called her up and i was like you know if you ever do something like that again i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna be your friend i'm not gonna have anything to do with you and she's like what what, what are you talking about she 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 didn't even think what she did was um was you know questionable of character she thinks that that's fair game it was like well i made it on my own though i made i'm like you copied their exact all you changed was the colors and you know like that's stealing that's stealing and she's like I'm like you can do that just credit the person credit yeah. them you know i used to get i would say 20 i went back I was counting. I'd get 20 people a day who tagged me, okay, uh, and said, check out my results. Now I get like two. And the reason why is because now that people will do my programs and then they, you know, they see results, instead of being like, oh my God, thank you, Brett Contreras, look at my results. They're now a booty influencer and they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? Check out my program. And then they sell these programs. And then you look and it's like my exact same program. And it, there's so many thousands of those people out there now. It's everyone wants a piece of the pie. And I get that. I understand entrepreneurialism, but the, the originators of content should get rewards. You shouldn't be able to just... Also, if you buy bots and fake followers and all that, you should be penalized. Well, I've noticed some of these people and they're never penalized. Why wouldn't Instagram not penalize these people? Why don't we all just buy fake follower? I've never bought a fake follower. I don't even know how to, but why don't we all just do it? I mean, how like I, I make a, a lot of money. Why don't I just buy millions and millions to get more credibility? So now I have 5 million followers instead of, if you're not penalized for it, you know, why not? Why not do it? You tell me Instagram can't figure out a way to police that or figure that out. They could, they could very easily. They just don't, it's not a fair system anymore. So yeah, you wanted like to talk about glutes and science, and I'm ranting. Yeah, I, I, they're all the questions, and I just we just got like a, a 15, 20 minute rant on where the social media is at. Uh, it's not in a good place if anyone hasn't guessed. <laughs> um, no, but I think I think it is important. I think I know it's very. I know from doing a, a thesis for my masters and stuff, I remember having to like quote every single paper or every single person that you kind of reference up. And it's, it was tedious and I can see why people don't do it, but that doesn't make it right. You need to credit the person with the information, even credit the paper. You don't have to tag them around like that, but I think it's important. The algorithm I've given up, what the hell's up with the algorithm? I have no idea what's going on. Um, but I think it's important for keep the ethical. I think it, 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 costs, it costs nothing to keep your ethics. I think that's a big thing. Um, with the training side of things, Brett, um, one of the, you, you mainly train females um, and women and stuff. And I think one of the things a lot of women can struggle with, with diet culture, haven't been out there and stuff is trying to put on muscle without trying to gain too much fat and getting away from that side of things. Where would you, where's the biggest challenge you see? if someone comes to the gym, if they've never lifted before and getting their kind of get the nutrition towards in the direction they want to go to build more muscle. I think the biggest problem is the protein intake. You know, so many women get around 
40 to 50 grams of protein per day. And they're 0.8 grams per pound of body weight per day or one gram per pound of lean body mass per day is sufficient. But there's some more recent evidence that indicates that one gram per pound of body weight per day might may even be ideal. Um, my, my friend, Alan Aragon always talks about this. There's like some good evidence. He showed me the research. So for me, that means I weigh, I'm six, four, 260 pounds. You know, how hard it is to get 260 grams of protein per day. It's very hard. Um, and so, but I, I try my best and I do it. You, you have, you can't just eat how you want to, you know, you have to make sacrifices. And so a lot of the women that I work with say they weigh 120. Well, they need to get 120 grams of protein a day. And a lot of them will wake up and have just something that has no protein in it. You know, then, then like maybe they have, I don't know, like a muffin or something or like a bagel or something or, you know, uh, oatmeal or something or, or, and then, or, or they just have like coffee or something like a flavored coffee drink or whatever. And then for lunch, they might have like, you know, a salad and they think they're doing good because it has chicken in it, but there's not that much chicken in it. There might be like 22 grams of protein in these little two chicken strips or something. Then for dinner, maybe they have, you know, again, maybe it's a piece of meat or something, but it's 30 grams. So they had 30 and 22. So they had 52 grams of protein. It's, you know, or they'll say, well, I had protein. I had a Greek yogurt for, for breakfast. Now they're making ones that have, there's actually ones that have 25 grams of protein. In them now I, I'm skeptical about that. I don't know how they, I, I buy them. I'm, I'm curious if they really do have 25, but you know, in, in my day, when I started eating yogurts back in the day, there were yo play yogurts and like Dan and there'd be like six grams of protein in them. The nice thing is the Greek ones tend to have like 12 to 15 now, but still that's only 15 grams. So when you add them up, you know, it is true that calories are the, the most important thing for your weight, for like, you know, weight maintenance or weight loss. Like, so in that sense, sometimes it's, let's say the person's just craving something like, I just want a piece of pizza or I just want some pasta or something like that. And there's not a lot of protein in there. Well, that's, that's fine. You'll, you'll get to, you'll stay at the weight you want but it's not optimal for building muscle. And so if you weigh 120, there's some good evidence that shows that if you just up your protein, you know, you will have more muscle. If you don't gain weight, then that means you have less fat. So you're actually optimizing body composition just by increasing your protein intake. So the other thing is protein, you know, the thermic effect of protein is 30%. It's much higher than that of carbs and fats, so you burn more more of it off. So, with regards to nutrition and women, the first thing I try to do is just say, like, if they're a a good weight, like, say they're say they come to me and you know they weigh one hundred thirty pounds and they're five foot four. Well, that's a good weight for them. I think they'll be happy with the way they look if they just recomp. So I don't put them on a diet. I don't say, okay, you got some fat to lose. I'm going to, you know, put you on a cut. 
I don't do that. All I do is I say, all right, like, tell me a your typical diet. And I say, oh, okay. seems to me like you're only having around 50, 60 grams of protein a day. I want you getting 100 to 120 or something, you know? Here's some strategies of how you can do that. You can have protein shakes. In my experience, men like protein shakes a lot more than women. I wish there was a study on this, but we all love our protein shakes. And most of my women hate them. And they give them, you know, they can't have the 40 grams in one sitting a lot of them. They have to do like 20. But anyway, protein shakes are great for that. If not, then, you know, you can hopefully find a protein powder that works, but it helps. It helps a lot, you know. But otherwise, then you have to eat more meat, more, you know, things like Greek yogurts, eggs. I love eggs, but that's only six grams of protein per egg. Yeah. I eat six eggs, that's 36 grams of pro- protein. That's not that much. No. No, I think it's, I think what you said there, Rebecca, like, I think sometimes it can be a psychological factor with the protein shakes for, for women, uh, because I think some kind of i've had this from clients before kind of they feel like they if they have too much protein they're gonna turn into arnold schwarzenegger and i wish it was that easy to build muscle <laughs> i really do but it's definitely not um i think they think the protein shake is just kind of one of these like it's 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 almost like a bro thing or it's a male thing and it's kind of like it, it's definitely not it can be beneficial but it, there's other there's other ways around it as well there are other other metrics one of the the, the big things that's kind of coming into the industry is kind of like the, the, the area of kind of like growing quads, growing glutes in relation to kind of like the top five tips that if you were given someone in relation to kind of starting to grow their glutes regarding or what would they be regarding volume, frequency, et cetera, what would the top five tips be to grow so for someone to start growing their glutes? Okay. I would say uh, train your glutes three times a week. I would just go by my rule of thirds. Okay. Train your glutes three times a week. Do four movements each day. One of them is going to be a thruster bridge movement. Okay. One of them is going to be a squat or lunge type movement. One of them is going to be a hinge, you know, like a hinge pull, like a deadlift. One of them is going to be abduction. Okay. So you have four movements. You can do three sets of each, all right? And you can do that same pattern three times a week. You can change around the order of the exercise if you want. But, yeah, each workout, you pick a type of hip thrust. Say it's the one and a quarter barbell hip thrust or bar plus band or Smith machine or single leg, you know? Then it's – or pause rep, something, some variation of hip thrust, right? B stance, whatever you want. Then you pick a squat or lunge, all right? Maybe one day one, it's a deficit reverse lunge. <clears throat> Maybe day two, it's a front squat. Maybe day three, it's a high step up, okay? Then you pick a, a hinge, okay? Maybe it's a 45-degree hyper. Maybe it's a single leg RDL. Maybe it's a Romanian deadlift, stiff leg deadlift, whatever, then you pick an abduction and some of them are going to be frontal planes. Some will be transverse planes. So you might have day one, a standing cable hip abduction day two. Maybe it's a seated hip abduction machine. Maybe day three is something with bands, you know, like a lateral band walk or <coughs> something like that. So 
but you do that three times a week, 12 sets, you know, three sets of four exercises, 12 sets. That's 36 total sets for the glutes. And uh, yeah, you try to use progressive overload, do that for four weeks, then switch it, switch it four weeks. First week is kind of a deload in the sense that you're just setting baselines. You're not going too hard. You're mastering the form. Weeks two, three, and four. This is what I do with Booty by Brett. You know, it's very simple. And I've been doing this for years with my clients. It's the best system. It's what everyone does now. That's how every all the booty experts, they do the same exact thing. I came up with this strategy years ago, and it works. You mentioned deep. You have to go up in strength. That's the thing. That's the that's the why personal trainers will always exist. I, I have so many clients, you know, they had didn't they had listened to all the podcasts, they had read all the blogs and they have my book, you know, but they they aren't that then they have decent form, but they're just not that strong. They just don't know how to push themselves that well. That's why having a coach is so nice. You know, I well, even my my client Ashton right now, he's just I saw this 17-year-old kid at the gym training hard as hell. And I'm like, I'm going to take this kid under my wing. So now he's 18. But in, I think it's been five months and he's, he could squat 500. Now he's squatting uh, six, 605. Um, he could deadlift 600. Now he's pulling 655. He could only hip thrust like 135. <laughs> now he's hip thrusting, you know, like, 405 for sets of like eight. So his strength has gone through the roof. Uh, and uh, and it's just because he learned a, a basically a, he was pushing too hard. He was, he'd do a squat day and he'd do like eight sets of squats. Then the next day bench, then the next day deadlifts, then back around to squats, bench, deadlifts, and, and he'd throw in some extra exercise in there, but it was just too much. Now he's recovering and we have more strategy. It's like we pick PRs to hit, you know, I use the, the Allegra PR plan with him <laughs> that I came up with during the quarantine with my client Allegra. You just pick a PR to hit and, uh, you know, you'd be surprised. At, I always tell him when he has a bad day, I'm like, you know, Ashton, you can't PR every day. It just doesn't doesn't work that way. You're you're fatigued. He's like, why? I don't feel sore. You're fatigued. You don't you don't know it. It's not necessarily sore, soreness in a muscle, but you're not recovered. You know, your your CNS. We don't have a lot of evidence for that, by the way. <laughs> Interestingly, we say it's you 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 wrecked your central nervous system. You have CNS fatigue, and there's all these studies showing that resistance training does not uh really impact your central nervous system too much it's muscle damage that does it but i think there i think we haven't fully studied it maybe or something because some days you're just so weak i don't think that has all all to do with muscle damage but we need to learn more about that you mentioned deloads in there um, and I think some people can be almost afraid to bring in a deload because they think of what you just said, that you need to harm yourself at every single session. How important are deloads? And can you explain what a, the, the basis of a deload is and the, the, the main concept behind it? 
Okay. Yeah. Good question. This is, no one talks about this enough. Well, I actually haven't heard anyone really talk about, give this, do this topic justice. Okay. So no, I, can relate, I can totally relate because I don't like deloading. I, I have that same, like, Oh, I don't want to get weaker, but you have to do it. And you, you take, you know, one step backwards in order to take two steps forwards. And I always say this, like, if you don't deload, life forces you into deloads. If you're training really, really hard and you don't let up, you don't ease off the gas pedal, you either hurt yourself or you get sick. So, uh, you know, you, you, and you know this when you train super, super hard. You know, I, I was at this powerlifting gym in Phoenix back in the day revolution training systems these guys train so hard they're always getting sinus infections you know <laughs> we had more sinus infections there than and because they you know they train so hard blood starts shooting out of their nose while they're deadlifting. so um so anyway um all right <laughs> there's no definition of deload there's no standard like all deload means is like take it easy for a little bit it's always a week. Why does it have to be a week? Why can't a deload be three days? I typically deload for three days. You know, I have three easy days and then I get back after it. Why does it have to be a full week? Where's the research on this? You know, um, <clears throat> it's kind of an art to it because we don't have nearly enough science on it. And so what you'd always hear is for the deload is, well, just like take like, you know, 50% of the loads you're using for the same reps. All right, who the hell likes doing that? Like you were <laughs> deadlifting uh, three, you know, 300 pounds for 10 reps and now do 150 for 10. You feel stupid. You're not even doing anything. So interestingly, you do see better results doing that than taking the whole week off. But how the reason I like telling people to do that is then they they don't overdo it you give people some wiggle room they'll go oh i went lighter but they went to failure that's almost worse you know in fact in the research it is worse it creates more fatigue and more muscle damage um i don't really believe that because i think when you max out your form degrades and you end up doing more damage to all the you know just some of the soft tissue structures and all that and it just anecdotally tends to beat you down more, more wear and tear on the joints and stuff. But anyway, uh, you can't go too hard. But here's what I always tell people. Like, I've deadlifted 650 pounds. That's my all-time best. I can make 405 feel hard. If I really arch and get super strict form, I can make two-thirds of my one rep max. I can make 65% feel hard, you know? And everyone can. So that's what I say that week, be super strict. You're setting a baseline. Why would you want to set the baseline to be very difficult? Because you got to now beat it three weeks in a row. Yeah. So that's what I like about the first week of a new program. Just don't be obsessed with hitting your all. Just figure out what loads to use for the next weeks. You know, set a baseline, figure out, all right, you know, this is a new exercise. I'm going to use this weight up. Oh, that was easy. I'll go up next set. Oh, that was a little too heavy. Okay. I think next week I'll go for this, you know? Um, so in terms of like, 
What does it do physiologically? Well, I think all your muscles repair, all the little nagging, you know, injuries repair, but also psychologically, you know, you can't just have, you know, say you train five days a week. That's 52 weeks a year. That's 260 sessions. You can't have 260 really hard training sessions a year. It doesn't work that way. You have to have some lighter sessions. So I, I haven't seen any research like if you if you put all five of these together and take, you know, take the week off, or if you can take a day off here and there, take two days, you know what I mean? If you can separate them out more. But it is very easy to maintain strength compared to building it. So that's why the deload, you can drop your volume substantially and you still keep your strength. So it's like last night I was working on a YouTube video and, you know, I was trying to do two things at once and I ended up getting, you know, caught up in finding a B-roll, finding clips to plug into these, to, you know, the YouTube video that I was, that, that I, I did a lot of talking. I tried to have stuff going on in the background. So it's not so boring and it ended up like hampering my workout significantly but i just said you know what i needed a deload i'm going to do the same thing this was last night i'm going to do, do the same thing today and tomorrow and then i'm back at it hitting it hard and so i only did six sets in last night's workout but i'm all right with it you know and i didn't do anything to failure so yeah what if you're just the type that doesn't train very hard naturally do you need a deload probably not you know Think about it. Most people go to the gym, talk to, go to any gym member and be like, hey, do you deload? They're like, what's that? They don't know what a deload is, you know? So it, and they, and they, and they gain, they see gains, they see results, but it's the typically the people who train harder who go closer to failure. You know, people who watch me lift are always like, Jesus, you push it so hard because I'm like, you know, I've been lifting for 30 years now. PRs get harder and harder to come by. So I have to really push it hard in order to PR. So you think I'd rack the weight, but I'm still not on like bench. I can't bench press. I fail. Like I can't just keep breathing and like, let's say hack squats, you know, I can just sit there and eke out three more than you think I would, I'm at failure. I can still get a few more and deadlifts and stuff like that you know you can really push yourself on some of these lifts so yeah people should deload uh there isn't a lot of research on it and there's also not any guidance as to what constitutes a deload like i always tell people just use common sense you can obviously you don't have to be like i'm doing rear delt raises i normally do rear delt raises with <laughs> 30 pounds for 15 reps i'm going to do 15 pounds for 15 reps the rear that set of rear delt raises even if you go to failure it does not compromise your overall recovery it doesn't make you sore it doesn't you know that's not the problem that's not the you're you're looking at the wrong thing what what you really need to limit are your big compound movements your squats your deadlifts your hip thrusts your bench press military press your chin ups those need to take a break from those you know the Single joint stuff, you can deal, still, you know, burn out. You, one thing about those, though, is 
remember the goal. You're trying to heal up. You don't want to have, um, you know, you don't want to have like joint pain. So, sorry, didn't sleep well last night. You don't want to have joint pain in the sense that sometimes if you hit tricep extensions too hard, or you hit skull crushers too hard, you can have elbow pain the next day. You hit barbell curls that can get your, you know, your radius and ulna to be sore, like you get bone pain. Um, so just saying going, going a lot, like you doing single joint doesn't mean, so you think you pick exercises that are more joint friendly, you know, concentration curls and preacher curls seem to be easier on the body. Cable tricep extensions, you know, tend to be easier on the body than skull crushers. So you got to have common sense. You got to have a strategy with this stuff with this stuff. If the goal is to feel recuperated and psychologically refreshed, then that's the goal. Then you need to make that happen. So it's not just about the lifting. Also make sure you eat well. Also make sure you sleep well. Also make sure you're not stressed out. And these are the way to make continue, you know, continuous gains, meaning like you're gaining strength month after month, year after year and improving your, your body composition. How often do you bring a do load into your own training or how, how often would you recommend if you are training properly and not just kind of. Well, I would say do as, do as I say, not as I do. Um, <laughs> my, my clients, I have one, one week out of, out of every four is a deload, but it's not a deload in the sense that I tell them like, don't do it. Like that, that was my problem in the past. These deloads, they'd be like, just use 50% of the loading and do the same reps. And I'm like, who likes doing that? Why even go to the gym? Are you, even though it is better to do that than to take the week off. But really, who likes using? I mean, think about that. I, I don't. <laughs> if you saw that person in the gym working out, you'd be like, "What are they doing? They aren't even lifting." Like, so you know, bench press. I can do two seventy five for eight. So I'm 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 supposed to do one forty for eight. <laughs> like what? So I never liked that. So what I say there is just be, be very strict with your form, super strict with your form. Practice, get get practice in. You're not taking sets to failure necessarily, but you can do the single joint stuff a little bit harder. You know, you don't need to be like, I got to limit like my lateral band walks here because I don't want to get overtrained. So you don't, you can still have a decent workout. It's just, there's one lighter, and I don't mean light in the sense of lightweight. Because lightweight can crush you if you go to failure. You know, I remember doing walking lunges with 25-pound dumbbells. And I worked up over the course of like two months. I could do 180 steps. You know, this was all the way down my street and all the way back. It was, it was an 11-minute set. Imagine holding dumbbells for 11 straight minutes. Your forearms are burning, your traps. So, yeah, I was only using 25-pound dumbbells. This is when I was like 24 years old. This was 21 years ago. And so you, you lightweight doesn't mean is not the answer. It means you're not going so hard. So I try to say, think of it a session RPE session rate of perceived exertion. If you look at your whole session, you're only going at about 60 to 70% of maximum. Like if you would say rate that workout, how hard did you push yourself? Six or a seven. Then the next week, you know, seven or eight, the next week, eight or nine, the next week, nine or 10. And then that fourth week, you push yourself so hard, you are looking forward to the deload. 
if you don't look forward to your deload, chances are you might not be training hard enough. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, I think it's going to vary on every single person where they're at, but I think it's understanding that the, the, the main concept behind it. I don't think it is, as you said earlier, I don't think it gets spoken out enough about it because it's one of those unsexy things in, um, very, in unsexy. <laughs> very unsexy. The last question I'm going to ask, and it kind of links in with what you spoke about earlier about kind of the, 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 the young 17 year old or 18 year old that you're training at the minute. If you had advice to your younger self, what would you do again? And what advice or what would you change? Can I have two answers for this? You can have as many as you want. <laughs> well, okay. For me, for me, we didn't, I mean, so there wasn't information when I started. I wish I could go back to that, that 15 year old. Shane, I just, I, I was such a weak, scrawny kid. I was lanky. Nothing felt right. I couldn't even come close to doing a chin up. Couldn't even come close to doing a dip. I could barely bench press the bar. I was so weak. You know, when I was 15, my friends would make fun of me. Like, I thought there was something wrong with me. I remember trying to learn squats, and I just folded like an accordion. I remember my friends were doing power cleans. I pretty much just, like, did a stiff leg deadlift into a reverse curl. You know, I was like, none of this feels right. So guess what I did? I just avoided it. I avoided all those movements. I did mostly single joint stuff. I did machines. And that's 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 fine. That's way better than nothing. But I didn't know about progressions. You know, Dan John hadn't invented the goblet squat back then. I could have done goblet squats. Um, I just couldn't do barbell squats. And, and you wouldn't put the just the bar because when, when I started squatting, I put you know, 45 on each side and I do quarter squats. I could have done full range goblet squats back then. I didn't know about them. I could have done, you know, dips. I could have done negatives. I could have sat there and just tried to lower myself slowly or band assisted dips. We didn't have the long bands back then. They weren't a thing. The 41 inch, you know, rubber bands. We didn't have those. Um, chin ups. I could have done negatives. I didn't know, so I did pull downs. I wish I would have done chin up sooner. I wish I would have trained my legs and my back more. Like I wish I would have done the hardest exercise and just known about progressions because I could have seen such quicker results. And I wish I would have had. I wish hip thrusts were around back then too. I could have <laughs> had some glutes in high school. But anyway, now my other answer, and this is comes from watching younger kids train because I, you know, if you've ever been, uh, uh, when I was a high school math teacher, one year I was an assistant strength coach. I helped out the main strength coach. And I was just, you see all these videos on the internet of like athletes, but what, what makes them good athletes, they're very explosive, <laughs> but they have good concentric power. They don't have good eccentric absorption skills. You know, and that's what I'm always telling Ashton. I'm like, slow down. And they're not, they're never symmetrical either. I'm like, what? look at your hands, look at your feet. <laughs> like, take the time, like, be a better lifter, you know, pay attention um, and learn the form better and lower the weight slower. It's not a, you know, that the lowering phase builds muscle. I never knew that, you know, growing up. I, I didn't know <laughs> to me, the lowering phase, you're, you're dropping the weight. You're only, 
gain muscle while you're lifting it. That's what made sense to me. You know, that's not true. The lowering phase builds muscle too, the eccentric phase. So lower it under control and, you know, be a better lifter. Pay attention to the bar path, where the bar touches down on your chest and try to replicate that. Pay attention to your squat depth. Make it consistent every time. The more robotic you are, the more consistent you are, the better lifter you're going to be. And you should see these guys when they um, ask him and his friends when they meet. To they're, It's really cool seeing these guys because I thought they were like part of a powerlifting team or a football team or something. No, they're just a bunch of, you know, like, I think they've all graduated from high school now, but I think they start doing this while they were, were in high school. A bunch of the guys would just get together and say, let's meet at EOS, let's meet at the gym, and, and let's, 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 we're having a deadlift day. And everyone deadlifts, or let's have a bench day or a squat bench deadlift day. And they meet up and they all try to one rep max. It's really cool. The camaraderie is insane. They're cheering each other on. But the form on some of them, um, you know, like especially with bench press, <laughs> bench press, they will consider this a bench press. They will bounce the weight off their chest as hard as they can and then shoot their butt up as high as it can go, like to where you're doing like a decline, you know? Yeah. And they, they'll, 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 they'll cheer each other on for that. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I, I, that's what's great about me coming to Ashton's life. I, I, I now, you know, he knows now. Your butt has to stay connected to the bench. You have to pause at your chest for a split second and then raise the bar up. And then that's a legit bench press. And I love that. Now, now he becomes more militant about squat depth and things like that. You know, I, I, doing deadlifts reps, I've never, I didn't realize that I learned this through Ashton. He would do touch and go and you, he would actually, somehow he could accelerate the bar on the way down to get more of a bounce. It's unique ability. I, I, it is these and and to their credit, they're very injury resistant. Like they can screw around, they can they don't have to warm up, but they're just very pliable. You remember being that age? Like I remember being that age. I'm feeling yeah. it today. So I could, yeah. <laughs> same, same. So I always tell them you're not gonna be able to get away with this <laughs> forever. So try to instill good habits, but um, but yeah, I would just try to te- te- teach myself that stuff too. Cause I could have saw so much better results. So, so much quicker, but it's all a process. And that's the, the, the main thing is like, you know, like try to have patience. It's a, the iron game, the goal, the goal is to be lifting in your fifties. Still, the goal is to not get so injured. You see some of these power lifters that are on top of the world. And then all of a sudden they're vanished. Same with some of these bodybuilders. Like you get too greedy and then, you know, you you can push yourself too hard and fizzle out. And just, you know, this is a, a the iron game is for life. You want to keep lifting for life. You want to stay healthy. So push yourself hard, but be smart about it. I love that. I love the way you said there, about you want to be lifting in your 50s. I think a lot of people think that it's like it's a young person's game but i think if you if you can do the work when you're younger you'll probably live a more fruitful kind of older life and stuff like that and I, I wish i started sooner uh it's one of the biggest things i, I kind of look at and potentially getting a coach at the very beginning because i probably was like your client of kind of just like bopping the bar off arse up in the air sure. yeah i think we've all <laughs> been there don't you wish we had like youtube back then and you could watch your old videos and just print. exactly yeah exactly <laughs> 
Uh, Brett, I've loved having a chat and thank you so much for, for coming on and rescheduling everything. Where can people find out about your book, The Glute Lab? Where can people find out about your YouTube channel, social media, your blogs, everything? Where can people find out about you? So just Google Brett Contreras and I come up on Instagram. Like if you forget Brett Contreras, you can Google Glute Guy. Um, I think I still come up as a Glute Guy. I used to I'll Google it now. I used to be the only glute guy. Now there's a bunch, but um, anyway, uh, uh, from my Instagram, there's a link tree that has all the links to everything. So the, the link in my profile on my Instagram has links to all that stuff. Love that. Brett, thank you so much for, for coming on and, be, and having a chat. Hey, thanks. It was my pleasure. <laughs>